He is one of the hosts of the Eurostep podcast, which covers the Milwaukee Bucks. We welcome Rohan Kahi onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Rohan? I'm doing well. Uh, happy to be here. Happy to talk Bucks. Yeah, appreciate you coming on to the show. And this is something that I really wanted to t- talk to you about, Rohan, because I think the Bucks are one of the most intriguing stories in the NBA. And kind of before we get to where they're slotted now, they're five and six in the Eastern Conference. I kind of want to get your perspective in terms of when the Bucks won the title to their offseason, to them going to the White House, and just kind of overall what the feeling is in Milwaukee since you lived there within their fan base. I'm just thinking it went to Toronto Raptors, won their first title. It kind of changed everything in terms of the, that region of basketball. And I realized the Milwaukee Bucks won the title a long time ago, but in recent NBA times, um, the Bucks winning the championship is a pretty big deal in terms of the casual NBA fans. So can you just enlighten just kind of fans that are not really familiar with the Milwaukee Bucks in general, just kind of what's it been like with the Bucks being the kind of defending champs heading into this season? Uh, it really felt like a moment where everything came together. The entire plan for the entire organization, the city sort of fell together. Uh, as most NBA fans know, this this team, the Chaz, was in the doldrums for the long, not the longest times, but a pretty significant amount of time before this era Uh, There was new ownership in 2014, 15, and they got a plan, new arena, new branding. Uh, Giannis obviously is the catalyst for everything. Uh, Nothing happens without his ascension to elite status, just uh, one of the all-time great status. And it's just like a moment where it's like, okay, we're building towards this. There's a struggle in there. There's a narrative in there. And then it all comes together and it all results in a championship. And then just this feeling of like accomplishment and just like, oh my goodness, this was actually all worth it. This team is good. This team is on top of the world. They went from nothing and then they came and then they took over. They showed that they were the best last year. So it was a, it was a moment of just, just relief, just joy. And it really did. It brought the city together in something in a way that I hadn't really seen before in my time living here. It's just an example of how, how sports are just, they're just awesome. Yep. Totally agree with you. Just seeing the defense outside of the arena, that was just awesome to watch on television. Um, just uh, like you said, the whole community, this, this um, galvanizing around this team. Um, focusing on this season, I listened to your most recent podcast and you stated with your co-host that it's not time to panic. It's just everybody needs to take a chill pill, take a break, and just realize this is kind of the early part of the season. Can you kind of um, bring your perspective as to um, what the Milwaukee Bucks are currently going through this season? Realize they've had some injuries. As I mentioned before, they, they visited the president. A lot of stuff is just happening um, all at once in the beginning of this season. Could you kind of go over kind of your expectations and what's happened on the court so far? And what do you think the Bucks need to improve to make sure that, you know, they stay within that, that mix, you know, heading into January to all-star break? Yeah, it's just uh, like you said, I said it's not time to panic given they have five and six record. And you wouldn't expect that for the defending champs, especially like when you're, what is it, like 13% into the season or something like that already. And it's just, it's a feeling of like, okay, why, why is this happening? And then you zoom in. You mentioned uh, earlier just there's a bunch of injuries. One of the biggest injuries is Brooke Lopez. And you don't really understand how important Brooke Lopez is to this team until he's gone. He's missing. There's just a void there. He is the linchpin of this team defensively. He provides an offensive spark at times as well, even though that's not the majority of his game nowadays. More of his game is predicated on the defensive end. So just the ability to uh, like play normal team scheme with your normal drop scheme, uh, that doesn't happen when Brooke Lopez isn't there because your bigs aren't well-suited enough to do that. You don't really have another true center on the roster. Like Bobby Portis is basically a four uh, Shemi Ojale is best used as a four. Giannis is best used as a four. So when you just have those guys all trying to play center by committee, it doesn't really work out. And aside from Brooke Lopez, they've had Dante DiVincenzo, who's been a starter for this team ever since last season, out since last season's playoffs. There's no timetable for his return, uh, which irks me a lot. But it's also just uh, Chris Middleton, the team's second best player, is out of health and safety protocols. However, he should be bringing in relatively soon within the next few games or so. We'll see if he comes back on this current 
uh, road trip that the Bucks are on, but he should be back fairly soon. But they're just playing a lot of just different lineups. They've played the most lineups in the league by far. And you just can't really, you can't learn a whole lot from it because it's just, you don't know what team you're getting on a game-to-game basis. What players are going to be there, what the rotation is going to be like, especially with Coach Budenholzer, who likes to just uh, mix and match who he plays, not within the game, but with like between game to game. You don't know who's going to be in the rotation for a certain game, who's going to be in the rotation minutes say there's during the regular season because this is a trial period for this team we saw that last season they experimented with a lot of defensive schemes and uh it paid off in the playoffs but now this season they're just using it to really just uh hone their skills and just really weather this storm yeah and i mean you would think the title obviously of last year gives them a lot of credibility that they have that uh, that infrastructure in place. Um, Rohan, I wanted to ask about the new look of the NBA, obviously with those big rule changes that came down. Everyone's talking about it right now. Uh, I wanted your thoughts on that, of course, what you're thinking of the, the product that you've watched so far. But then I also... We all know LeBron, or <laughs> excuse me, LeBron, yes, but Giannis, more specific to the Bucks, is, uh, you know, a physical freak. I mean, just just amazing to watch, physically dominating, one of the most physically dominant performances that we've seen as basketball fans last year through the playoffs. How have those rule changes affected him? Or uh, And also, do you think the rule changes could be a benefit to him? Uh, it's kind of, it's weird because it's like, I've been trying to keep track of that, obviously, because it's like, this is a new thing. Like you mentioned, it's in the news, like Damian Lillard came out and just like, this is terrible. It's just, I don't remember exactly what the word he said, but it was just like unacceptable. I believe he used mm. that the officiating is unacceptable this year, uh, which is, it's, I, I get it. I agree that it's a, it's a better product. I, I feel like most people would agree that it's a better product without just like uh, people trying to hook people's arms, just like jumping into people. It's just, that's good without that. It's great without that. Are defenders getting away with a little bit more now that they're cracking down on this or not uh, sort of play, they're officiating a little more lax? Yes, they probably are getting away with a lot more stuff that probably could be called as well. You see all the, you see all the highlights of like James Harden trying to get foul calls and it's just like, Okay, a few of these are probably foul. Um, just want to ask you, in terms of the rules changes, do you think any of these will have a massive effect when it comes to playoff time um, in terms of kind of the ramifications, or do you think the players will adapt and they'll kind of figure out how to um, assimilate their games to this their game to this new rule set um, by the time um, April comes around? Uh, I think players will mostly, hopefully, have figured it out. We still have a long ways to go until uh, until the playoffs. So we're back to that 82-game season, which just feels so long now. It feels so long. Uh, but I think I think players will probably get assimilated uh, or acclimated to it, I should say. Uh, there's, there's usually in playoffs in the past, there's people swallow their whistles a little bit more. It's uh, it's it's more physical. So I think the proven playoff performers are used to that at this point, uh, whether it be just like Brooklyn, Milwaukee, just like the Lakers, just like any any team, realistically, any contender. Uh, they're used to this at this point. So uh, realistically, I don't think it'll have that much of an impact. Uh, but uh, we'll see. It's It's a new thing. We'll have to see how it's implemented in the playoffs. I'm interested to see how it really changes. Because there might be changes we don't know. We haven't seen anything like this before. So it's sort of like a wait and see. But I really don't think it'll have too, too much of an impact. Because you see those sort of uh, initiating contact, trying to get those calls. Those sort of fouls sort of lessen as the playoffs go on anyway. But if they're taken out completely, we could even see a better product come playoff time, which is already a great product. Agreed. Um, I want to ask you about the Eastern Conference and a lot of surprise teams. Um, 
as a recording of this podcast, we have the, the Cavaliers playing the Wizards, which they both have um, pretty good records, surprisingly good records. Not to mention my Chicago Bulls, on the, you know, even though they have roster changes, they are on the top of the Western Conference, as well as the Knicks and as well as the Heat. Are, are any of those teams, do you think, will be like a threat to the Bucks uh, when we get after the All-Star break? Or do you think, hey, you know, this is kind of the early season, you know, the, the cream will rise to the top when we get into the heart of the season? Are there any of the teams that have been surprised Prices that you're like, hey, this could be a threat, you know, a couple of months from now. Uh, I've really, I've really been impressed with Chicago so far. The way they all play together is just incredible. Those, the, the, the uh, all the players that they've got, like Demar has been incredible. Demar is probably, he's going to get a lot of MVP consideration at this yes. rate. It's incredible. I believe he's like a, is he a top five scorer right now? He might be like top three, Something top five, like some, somewhere yeah. around there. He's just tearing up the league. He's career high in scoring and just efficiency. It's it's incredible to see what the, uh, he can do in Chicago. I'm a little concerned with them in terms of like, obviously the Pat Williams injury is devastating. Like they're starting Javante Green right now. It's just, it's uh, how is that, is that going to be tenable uh, for the rest of the season? We shall see. Uh, but I, I've been really impressed with them. They play really, really well. They play fast, but they, they play smart in addition to playing fast, which is something that you don't really see that often in the sense that uh, uh, when teams are playing fast, they're usually like just like young teams who are trying to out-athlete a bunch of other guys during the regular season. But no, it's all controlled for Chicago. It's controlled chaos. So I've really, really been impressed with them. Miami obviously has been impressive. Their defense is incredible. I'm not really sold that their offense is going to stay this hot for the entirety of the season. But if their defense is there, that's one major factor that will lead you to be one of the top teams in the conference. Um, in terms of New York, New York, it's, I don't know how I feel. <laughs> I feel like they just go on runs and they're, they're going to play physical. They're going to play hard. Tibbs has those guys playing hard on defense every single night. Uh, is it going to hold up? It might. Is the offense going to hold up? Their pull-up shooting, is that going to hold up? We'll see. Uh, I don't think they're really going to ascend to the top of the conference, but if they're like two teams of that bunch, it's got to be Chicago and Miami who have a chance to really, uh, really separate themselves from like the middle of the pack of the Eastern conference and maybe be like contenders. Go ahead, man. Rohan, as um, someone who has had Jason Kidd coach your team, I, I thought it would be good to get your perspective on how you think he fits for the Mavericks, you know, maybe you can answer this as well. I mean, some people give Jason Kidd a lot of credit for Giannis's development as a pro. Some people say that's that's way overblown. Uh, we know there are unfavorable things that came out about him this offseason uh, in, um, in the Giannis book that came out. Um, what are your thoughts of his fit in Dallas and kind of his, his match and mesh with Luka? I am really interested to see how soon this goes very poorly. (laughs) There is a good chance it will. Uh, I have no idea how that even happened, how he managed to get another NBA head coaching job, because I feel like it's lost within the sense of uh, his time with the Lakers, winning a title as an assistant there. It's just that the Milwaukee experience was awful. (laughs) <laughs> he came. He, he came in there, and the uh, the narrative is like, oh, it became a playoff team as soon as he came there. Sure, that that's true. That did happen. But also, it's because they had a bunch of veterans that they signed this season, that previous off season that really helped them get to the playoffs. Before they were just a team that was trying to tank. They were getting trying to get a top pick so they could take Jabari Parker, which worked out fantastic. And so they uh, they signed a bunch of vets, wanted to win. It was the first year of the new ownership group. They wanted to make the playoffs. So it's like, okay, let's sign a bunch of vets. Uh, and then the next season, they're like, oh, we made the playoffs. We don't need these vets. They didn't make the playoffs. They stunk. Yeah. Uh, so it's not really like Jason Kidd was some massive success story in Milwaukee. In fact, he held Giannis back in a lot of mm. aspects. He, in terms of like his as his rookie year, he had a very very strong three point shooting season for his career. His stroke looked fantastic. It was a great shot, and then it just all sort of fell off. And that's because he barred Giannis from shooting threes. He really barred Giannis from shooting threes, and it was just like 
Giannis went on the record and said, this affected me mentally. He went on the record and said that, that this sort of decision is affecting my shot going forward. And you still see that hesitancy at some points to this day. So it was not great, uh, the Jason Kidd experience in Milwaukee. Uh, best of luck to Mavericks fans. Um, hopefully it goes better for you, but I doubt it. So what do you think the consequences are going to be for Luca? I mean, I think he's going to be, you know, when, when they released, you know, the top NBA 100 players, I think he's a guaranteed lock on that list. But with Jason Kidd, like you mentioned, I, I feel like there might be some, some consequences to Luca's game, not to mention Luca and Porzingis not getting along even before he got there. So do you foresee kind of Luca's game taking a hit? just due to Jason's kids incompetence like what you, uh, that's your I, knowledge I, I, okay he's gotcha. he's too he's too he's too good he's too I, good to really take a hit in that gotcha. respect okay. it's he's so developed at this point where it's like no no coach can really harm him he is so good already i don't really think that's going to matter uh i pre- like this experience could end up being good for this team it could be like uh, sort of like a you figure yourself out because this team at the end of the day, the Mavericks, they haven't won a playoff series with Luca. Maybe they should have, maybe we'll see like that's up for debate, but they went seven games with Kawhi two years in a row. It's uh, it's just, it's unfortunate. And that that's a really good team. They just matched up against them twice in a row. Um, but this could be a period where they're just like sort of building their strength, their, their mental toughness, and it could end up being good for them. Like at the end of the day, the Jason Kidd experience in Milwaukee it led to a title in the sense that they got rid of him and won a title. They became good. So uh, they, it's just a learning experience, uh, potentially, for the Mavericks. So maybe Jason Kidd is the uh, stepping stone coach. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It could be a stepping stone. Um, Rohan, I want to ask you, um, shifting back to the Bucks, is there kind of a, a chip on this team's shoulder and along with the fans too, or am I misreading that's in terms of kind of the respect that the Bucks have gotten within the last few years, just because I just think of Brooklyn and I think of the Sixers and I just feel like they're mentioned way more than the Milwaukee Bucks and they're like the defending champions. And I feel like they have star power. They're exciting to watch, but yeah, in terms of mentioning like the elite of the Eastern Conference, they're just not even mentioned. I mean, even from a panic standpoint, I mean, I mean, let's just hypothetically play this out. The Knicks, you know, won the title last year, and they're five and six. They have all the headlines, but with the Bucks, they just seem to fly under the radar. Is there any kind of like, I don't know, a wish to be more in that national conversation, or do you just don't give a crap about that kind of stuff in terms of just getting uh, that national recognition? <laughs> I mean, it's it would be nice in some respects. Uh, maybe not right now when they're struggling, but uh, <laughs> um, maybe in terms of respect, this it's something that's earned. Like they, it, it exists within the league. It doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it's always going to be a point of emphasis for national media. It doesn't really it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Um, in terms of this team, I think they know exactly what they need to do now in order to win a title, which is what matters at the end of the day. So they have emboldened themselves and the rest of the league knows, oh, they have that championship confidence now. You see that with guys like Pat Connaughton, with Bobby Portis. Pat Connaughton uh, was one guy who was like out of the rotation, like in and out of the rotation like a few years ago. And now you just you imagine him at hitting every single clutch shot when you're watching a Bucks game. You're like, oh man, Pat's got this. Bobby Portis, he became a cult hero during the playoffs. It's like, okay, these guys are going to show up come playoff time. In terms of the respect for the league, if they do it again, it's just it's impossible to really discredit them. Uh, you can't. It's you can only say, oh X Y Z happened so many times. They just got to go out there and prove it again if they want that. Uh, if they want to be treated as a team that it's like, do you want to be remembered as a team like the 04 Pistons who uh, who went out there, got one title, and just like it was it was a great run. They had good conference finals appearances. Uh, or do you want to be known as a team who can win a few in a, a couple years? Uh, be like a, like a mini Spurs East. That's what this Bucks team has wanted to be. They've wanted to emulate the Spurs. Can they be a Spurs-esque team? Obviously, no one can really touch that era of basketball uh, that San Antonio had. But can you be a team that is going to multiple finals, potentially winning multiple titles in like a four or five-year span? 
we'll have to wait and see. This team is determined determining its own legacy before our very eyes. Well, I think they're going to be a very compelling team to watch. And before I let you go, Rohan, I want to ask you about Giannis's, you know, MVP chances this season. Where do you think kind of he stocks up in that race? And do you see any kind of surprise? You mentioned DeMar DeRozan as a kind of shocker. I'm sure, you know, Julius Randle, his stats look pretty good this season. Where kind of do you see Giannis falling in that right now in kind of the early MVP race? Uh, I mean, he's definitely going to end up being up there. I imagine this team uh, very drastically improves record-wise as they get healthy, as their schedule lightens up a little bit. So as long as you're, like, the best player on one of the best teams, you're going to be in the conversation. Especially, like, Giannis had very similar stat lines to what he's had. Team had very similar records last season, last regular season, compared to the two-season C1 MVP. The reason, which honestly is fair that he didn't get a lot of MVP consideration last year is because his team was faltering in the playoffs. But they they won the title, so you can't really hold that against him anymore. He's currently the second-leading scorer in the league, so you, you if he's in the running for the scoring title, as well as playing all defense-level defense, and his team is on pace to be one of the best teams in the, in the league and the conference, and you know that they're a title contender, I think he's going to be very well suited to be in the end, top of the MVP conversation. Whether he wins it or not, that's a different story. But I do predict that he's probably going to be in the top three when it's all said and done. Gotcha. Rohan, this has been a fantastic chat. Can you please let our audience know where they can find you on social media, where they can find the Eurostep podcast, and then anything else you're working on as well for the rest of the year? Uh, you can find me at R-K-A-T-T-I-J-R on Twitter. You can find the Eurostep at Eurostep Podcast on Twitter. Uh, it's just uh, it's a good time, and uh, it's uh, it's a lot of Bucks coverage, comprehensive Bucks coverage, and uh, we're going to be bringing it to you guys all season long. Great. Well, just, uh, let the, just please just check out that podcast uh, for all your Bucks um, information. They're going to be a pretty much a huge factor as we get into the nitty gritty of this season. Looking forward just to hear your analysis, Rohan. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you guys for having me. This was a pleasure. He is the host of the Brian Tong YouTube channel, which covers everything in terms of tech, gaming, and culture. He is a hardcore NBA fan and a sneakerhead. We welcome Brian Tong onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Brian? Woo! Well, hey, guys, uh, thank you again. It's an honor, Justin and Matt, to be a part of this. And uh, it's here to have fun and talk shopping about things that we all love. Well, I appreciate you coming on to the show, Brian. A huge fan of your work in terms <laughs> of this covering the tech industry. Uh, whenever there's a new Mac product, um, you're the first channel I go to <laughs> just to Ooh, see what's honored. going on. Um, honored there as well. So let, let's chop it up with you, Brian. And you, a lot of our guests we usually ask, what is your favorite basketball memory um, or your first basketball memory that comes to mind that really got you just kind of hooked on the game? Man, okay, so you know, I'm I'm a kid who grew up during Jordan's heyday, so it's gonna oh, be yeah. a Jordan moment. <laughs> um, but I think probably, and there were so many, um, but I would say probably the biggest moment is, you know, we had just played hoops a Saturday afternoon. This is when you're like in those high school days. You get out, go to the park with your friends, and then they were playing Utah, game six, and we all sweaty, smelling like funk. My mom's like, you know, giving us little snacks and drinks to have after our <laughs> after our hoops game. And, you know, we're just like drenched and gross. But, you know, we, we see MJ do the strip on Carl Malone. He does the shot. And when that happens and you're with like your buddies that you grew up playing ball and loving ball, that just hit different. And so I will always remember that moment because of who I was with, how it happened, the day, all that. So that, that was that was incredible. The moment was incredible. <laughs> so you bring up that memory and it's kind of appropriate because, you know, this season, the NBA came out with their NBA, you know, 75th anniversary list. What were your thoughts on like the, the players that made it? Do you have any objections, outrage? Um, and how do you feel? I mean, we're getting old because I'm sure you remember when, you know, they came out with the 50th list. All the, Everybody got their jackets, you know, the big ceremony. So kind of what's your impressions of like the, the 75 list coming out? Did you have any like outrage or objections? Of course I did. And you guys should too. I mean, look, we know this list I is do. subjective, right? There, There's a multiple ways to approach it. Are we saying we're keeping the 50 
and and that is like in its own time capsule or are we updating the 50 and then taking some off the 50 right um that that depends on honestly your perspective but we know this list is subjective based on the writers what they saw i think there's some recency bias uh yes. two names specifically and this is look i don't play in the nba but i <laughs> love this game and you can't tell me and maybe they're the maybe i'll give them this maybe they're in the top 100 or right on the fringe but I'm not too hot on seeing AD and Damian Lillard in the top yes. 75. You know what? People can put whatever personal feelings they have about Dwight Howard, push those aside, and look at that man's resume and how he dominated during his period. Okay. Dwight Howard deserves to be on the top 75 before AD and before Damian Lillard. Anyone, I think, with a – that's why it makes it boggles my mind. These are writers that historically covered the game. Yeah. And so that was <laughs> – that was mind-boggling to me and i mean remember uh i think it was the day of or the night of where howard and ad actually had that little tiff on the sidelines yeah and i'm I'm wondering if you know subconsciously there was something to that where dwight was just still kind of annoyed about that also we know he probably reads a lot of social media because who he is and a moment happened between them ad puts his hands on him and dwight's like no and you know it just it was just conveniently at that time so I would say definitely for me, Dwight Howard should be on that list um, purely on resume. You know, I I get it how some players that we love and are fond of might have had a shorter career because of injuries. I mean, if T-Max stays healthy, if Grant Hill stays healthy, uh, you know, those guys deserve to be on that list. But I get that, that maybe that's why they weren't because of their the longevity they had. Um, I'm a Warriors fan, so I'm not going to do any have like a major Warriors bias, but Clay Thompson does have an argument to be there ahead of Damian Lillard. I felt the same way. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. champion game six, clay, there is no, when you talk about game six, clay and the memories that we've seen, I mean, talk about another moment that stands out in my mind about the NBA. I was at the Warriors Sacramento Kings game sitting, luckily somehow got hooked up with tickets, 10 rows off the corner when clay burst up for 37 and a quarter. Oh, oh man. Live. Oh, I saw man. that. I saw that wow. game live. Okay. Oh, man. I was buzzing. I could not go to sleep that night until 3 a.m. because I was so hyped from that night. Okay. That, <laughs> I that, that, th- I would arguably say that would be the, my top in person memory, but the Jordan thing is like my childhood. So, anyways, I want to actually, you know, you asked me that question. I'm sure you've talked about it, but I'd actually kind of want to hear your takes. Were there any names that you felt were a little like, hey, 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 let's, this is not a top safe five, but those are my two Lillard and 80, no disrespect, but. Top 75. <laughs> um, I would say I can have a personal rule. If I didn't see mm-hmm. them play in person, I have no right in commenting on them because I don't know. We're it's, it's a it's one of those things. See them play on YouTube, these older players, you don't get the sense of how good they really were, right? So I feel like I have no right just to judge kind of the old school guys because I'm sure there's, you know, like Marcus Thompson we had on recently said, there's like 80-year-old, 90-year-old people in the barbershop <laughs> saying, hey, back in my day, like this guy, you know, this so-and-so killed it and she should have been on the list. So <laughs> I, you know, in terms of those old school players, like I'll trust their judgment in terms of why they're on the list um in terms of any true objections i mean the clay thompson thing i'm just i don't know he just looks to me like he's a top 75 player ever just just in terms of that backcourt i i get it in terms of the criticism of him being like um steph curry's sidekick but man he's had some like killer moments and and again, I know he's been compared to Scottie Pippen, but oh God, like he, he were there like for that 37 point, you know, just him going off for that. And I just, it's hard for me to put him in that kind of, you know, he's a sidekick and he wouldn't have that same impact if he was, you know, the main star on a different team. I don't know if I just feel that way. I think he'd be awesome on a different team as that main focal point, but I may be wrong. How about you, Matt? What do you think about the list? We haven't really got to chop it up about like any objections about the list. Yeah. You know, with, I, I think with clay, if, if he's healthy the last two years, that really helps him with recency bias being such a big thing. That's kind of my take on the whole situation is those last two years being out of the public eye really kept mm-hmm. him off the list. Cause then he adds to his three point made total. He gets higher on that historical list. You know, we all love the numbers and the all time stuff <laughs> like that. Um, I want to ask you guys about one that I mentioned in the stream. That's probably a bad take. 
And I'll tell you how I try to justify it in my mind. But I think, you know, I agree with what you said, Brian. I, I mentioned that on the stream, actually. Like, AD, probably eventually, not yet, I would say. Dame, I need to see a little bit more uh, in the playoffs. And now that's going to make my suggestion here very ironic. But <sighs> Vince Carter, how do you guys fall on that? I know career-wise, maybe it's kind of like a disappointment from what we were thinking coming out of UNC. But hear me out the greatest dunk, the greatest in-game dunk in basketball history. And it wasn't in the NBA. You guys remember it was, yeah. it was on uh, the Olympic stage, but give me your thoughts on Vince Carter just overall and tell me why I'm way off base. <laughs> I don't think you're way off base. I think he's, he's a, he's a tough one. I think he's a borderline guy. I think if he makes that shot against Philly in yeah. game seven, you know, it, it, it comes down to moments, right? It comes down to memorable moments that happened. That's why Clay True. rises higher to me. He has so many memorable moments that are kind of, you know, ingrained in the DNA of the of the NBA's history, quite honestly. Whereas, you know, Vince Carter has the dunk contest. He has amazing dunks and he has the one over Frederick Weiss, but that's and his career, you know, is really right on that border of 75 or 100. I think he makes it in the 100. I because of the history of the game, maybe it's hard to put him on, on the 75, but I wouldn't argue if he was on the 75 at the same time. Yeah. And I, I'm not, I'm certainly not putting him over Dwight. I, I'm with you on that. Let Agreed. me ask you this also, Brian, just because I think th there's no right or wrong answer, but it's just interesting. <laughs> Are you sure? to hear, yeah, well, <laughs> okay. We'll hold off on that. <laughs> see, but how do you weigh, you know, I, it makes me happy as a basketball fan to have players from all eras in it, even though like, yeah, any modern player is going to go off on Dolph Shays, let's say. And I, I don't say that with any disrespect intended. It's just a quicker, faster, more athletic game than it was back then. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is just simply the time period that we're living in. Um how do you weigh like keeping players from that past era or are you more of the mindset of like NBA 75 should just be the guys who are going to light it up <laughs> the top 75 talents and career resume ever? How do you weigh you know, that? For me, you got, you have to respect the eras. The game was played differently, you know, in different eras and people excelled. Like there's a lot of players that you might argue would not, even though people say, Oh, they'll find a way there's an argument to be made that certain players in today's era would not be able to excel nearly as much in the nineties, right? Mm -hmm. The physical hand checking rules. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure look, Steph Curry is still the greatest shooter ever, but he may not get as many threes because of all that hand checking that, you know, so, and we know that even the pace of game, the way the stats are inflated in today's um, game versus previous uh, eras that has to be factored in as well. So, I'm of I'm of the school of thought where you've got to pay homage to the you know the icons of their generation and their eras and include them in this list and just because you know if you're gonna say uh, actually I don't want to disrespect anyone throughout a name but let's say um, a middling small forward here in the NBA that a three and D guy that would dominate in the 50s I don't care I'm not gonna put him over Oscar Robertson or any any type of you know, Dolph Shays. I'm not going to put him yeah. over Dolph Shays just because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he's a great three and D. Like, let's let's take a name like a like a Robert Ori or Andre Iguodala. Yeah, though, right? Those kind of that ultimate role player defense, shoot the three, big shots. Sure, he's probably in, if you put him one on one with those guys back in the 50s and 60s, they would kick their booties. But that's <laughs> not how we do it. <laughs> I think, Brian, you bring up a good point. Look at James Harden, you know, with the recent rules changes and him Great struggling, point. you know, and Great even point. with Damian Lillard. So I think that's an excellent point in terms of eras and in terms of how guys take advantage of the rules and how it takes a long time for them to adapt. But at the same time, you know, they do, if they're a top player in the league, I just feel like they should be able to exist in any era and adapt. I, you know, like, I feel like Michael Jordan could play in any era. Larry Bird, Magic, yes, like the top, the elite, the elite of the elites. So, I, I understand. I think when you get to that fringe, I, I totally, I totally understand where. I agree. Comparing eras always gets weird. It always gets to a situation. I mean, there's always that thing of like LeBron or Jordan. It's kind of like they kind of do two different things. Like it's kind of like a little apples and oranges comparison. So I, I think it gets you know weird when people just get so heated over that debate. I just think it's kind of like a hot take. 
It, I mean, it, look, aren't we living in the hot take society right we now, are. right? I mean, <laughs> <That's> so <laughs> true. yes. And, and I think no matter what, everyone wants to believe that their generation was the greatest generation, right? Of that they saw during their peak. Like this, this happens across sports. This happens across music. Like when I listen to music today, look, I'm not a fan of mumble rap. I'm like, where are the two pots and biggies <laughs> of the Jay-Z's of this generation? There are none. That's true. So in my mind, yes, that was the you know the gold standard of rap and now i'm like what <laughs> but to each generation they do you know have their own icons that are specific to them and i i can't take that away either yeah you're right because this is a lot of like you know newer rappers when they it's kind of a, a famous thing that the see on hot 97 a famous radio station in new york bring it on like a younger rapper onto the show and they play some old school hip hop and they're like, I'd never heard this in my life. This is <laughs> and so and we're like, how's this, how's this trash? This is classic. This is like you know, Beethoven in terms of the hip hop world, but it's like disconnect of like the younger generation, the older generation. So I, I totally feel you on that, Brian. Um, I want to shift gears and ask you about the bubble and technology and how that was incorporated in terms of kind of the fan experience. And now that, you know, this season fans are back. Things are back to normal from a viewer standpoint of watching the NBA. Are there things that you wish that you saw in the bubble from a te technology standpoint that we sh could see now in today's game? Because I've kind of loved the fan interaction. I kind of, it was something cool about seeing the fans at home being involved in the actual game. Now, I think there's a limit in terms of piped in noise or, you know, not having fans there at all. But I think there's something cool in terms of the added technology element that we did see in the bubble that, you know, I kind of miss now, but I, at the same time, I'm appreciative of fans, you know, being at full capacity. But there's, are there any elements that you wish from that kind of bubble era that they could have carried over? Well, you know, I think you make a great point because, you know, I haven't necessarily thought about it. But look, the NBA, we know, is the most forward thinking sports league in many areas, but specifically with technology. Yeah. And you look at what they did. Um, you know, you, you quite honestly saw other types of entertainment properties follow what the NBA did from a standpoint of putting fans in the stands with those TVs. I mean, I saw it with concerts. I saw it with WWE, but yep. you know, the, the um, NBA established that. And I think that to me, and they're, they are working on this. It's taking like some of that intimacy. And I think, look, people like seeing themselves on TV. Okay. So <laughs> I think what they should do is, you know, whether this is something that rolls out to newer arenas, you know, you got that little TV ad banner that's around like a lot of arenas. Let's put some fans faces on that, right? Let's, let's incorporate that sometimes in the jumbotron. It doesn't have to be on all the time, but let fans and, and you kind of have to show them that they're on the screens at home. It doesn't have to take five minutes of the game. It can take 30 seconds just to know that the fans are a part of the experience. I think even when players are walking back to the locker rooms you could see fans screens like kind of on pillars on displays i think you include that because fans want to just feel connected whether they're virtually or not and we're in a different era now and technology is so readily available to us that i think that's a fun thing that was incorporated i'd like to also see um quite honestly more interactive experience from a standpoint of having like live polls and trivia going on like a true virtual kind of like almost a virtual game show experience, you know, for fans to interact with this media in a different way. This takes resources, this takes manpower, but I know it can be done. You know, I've worked on live game shows, you know, you look at something like HQ trivia, even having, and it doesn't have to have a host, but just having those elements in a digital format where someone is watching on their tablet or on their phone and maybe have the ability to sync it. We know that syncing the actual broadcast, your phone can be different. And then incorporating like stuff like that, that and, and then gamifying it by earning points and then turning those points into rewards builds loyalty. So I think there's a lot of digital ways that you can approach this, but I, I do love kind of connecting the fans still being there digitally, even though, right, we have regular fans back. I, there's something about that that I like. I, I do like that. Yeah, my mind goes immediately to Twitter, which is is seems to be tailor-made for the NBA. I mean, you get... Uh, highlights it's it's great when you're away from the game and and you want to catch in and you don't mind if it's spoiled a little bit for you it's great during the game you know i mean certainly there can be a point where you look at it too much and you miss out on a lot but uh you know having those selected people that you follow and and you want their input on that game 
I, I think the NBA could do a lot with integrating that. Do you think that would be something that could be done through just simply like the team social media accounts or like with things you mentioned, like polls, more fan interaction, or is that something that the NBA needs to like house from its website? What, what would you see as kind of like a, a way to approach that? Well, I think we've seen maybe them even experimenting right now where um, I think the NBA and Turner's partnership with Bleacher Report, they've sometimes had like, you know, uh, like um, Channing Fry and, you know, Rosgold and a few, sometimes like a player or two just kind of sit back and just basically shoot the shit while they're watching the game. Mm-hmm. And that is a way to kind of bring a different perspective to the game for someone who might be working and is casually has their phone or their computer on the side and at least interact with the game that much. Now it's not like they're getting, they're not even getting thousands of people watching that. They're getting a few hundred. They haven't really hit the thousand mark. And so it's a way to play with that. And just to see, they've got to figure out how responsive people are going to be before they invest tens of millions of dollars to make this a platform. So part of it is um, having it exist in those ways and encouraging fan behavior to kind of adapt and change and see how consumers are really consuming this. You know, for me, I'm still the guy that the only reason I have cable TV is because I watch sports. If there were no sports, um, I probably would be a hundred percent streaming type of person, but that sports hook and the NBA mm-hmm. is what keeps me you know, with that plan. So um, until we see fans starting to move over, I think Twitter even just signed a deal with the NBA to extend something like 40 games via Twitter. So the, we're starting it. We are seeing them play in that space, but it hasn't gotten to a point where they're saying, okay, now we're going to invest tens of millions of dollars. You know, they've got to establish that an audience there and then ad revenue has to come that way as well. So, but again, they are the most, you know, tech savvy league, a sports league in the world. And so we're, we're seeing them play that like, you know, the, the NFL isn't at that level. MLB isn't at that level. Um, tennis, soccer, they're just not that level. So. So to that point, Brian, I've asked some of our previous guests this because I always hear about, you know, Netflix and Amazon and Apple getting into the sports, you know, streaming rights and our infrastructure is not made that way. They're more of an entertainment brand. So it just seems weird. All I hear is this, okay, Netflix is whenever somebody's, you know, rice deals are up, it's going to get Netflix going to offer this much money. It's like they, you watch movies on there or TV Mm -hmm. shows, Mm -hmm. like they're not, they're, they're, they don't have an experience with any sports properties. So my question to you is, when do you think these streaming properties, even something like Amazon, which they do have the NFL, which in my opinion, their interface just seems very archaic. Like, when do you think these streaming services are actually going to take, you know, sports rights seriously? Because, you know, I hear it come up every time, you know, the NFL or NBA or, or any kind of other sports or entertainment property come up and they just don't want to jump in, jump in feet first. So what why is there, there hesitation? Do you think that might change in the next few years? Well, I think part of the hesitation is, and we can kind of look back in history is if you remember, there was a time where music was being pirated heavily, right? Um, With Napster. And guess what happened? Apple came in and said, hey, we got a store that we're going to make it easier to do than ever. And we're going to give you like the highest quality files. And because no other record studio really had a solution, they all said, hey, Apple, we're, we're on board with you. They ended up losing Oh, man. You know, millions of <laughs> millions of dollars because Apple became the digital store, right? Yeah. And all these labels that owned this music yeah. could not do it. And what we've seen is now, whether it's movie studios and honestly, sports leagues, they're not going to just give up their, their uh, licensing yeah. and properties because quite honestly, if they do it themselves, they, and no matter how long it takes, they will actually be able to make more money by figuring it out themselves hmm. in the long run. Now, let's say Amazon throws more money, you know, they're they're experimenting with the NFL. Let's say they throw a bunch of money at the NBA. Well, to be honest, it has to be a better product than NBA League Pass. And until someone can deliver right right with Amazon, it's like they're showing a game. Okay, that's fine. But you know, with the NBA, it, it's it's kind of different. The NBA has created really a destination for the ultimate fan that would be hard to kind of draw some away. And yes, I get it. Not every single game is on NBA league pass. It's more for someone like me who now lives in LA and I can watch every warriors game I want remotely. Um, but I, I still can't watch Laker games because of uh, the broadcast uh, issues out here. Yeah. That, that's kind of a bummer. Like I want to watch Laker games because they put all the marquee names against them. Um, so I think that these leagues should be smart and protect their properties and their license. But 
you know, could we see Netflix have sports? Sure. But to your point, the experience has to be so good and has to be radically different than what they have. I just don't, I'm never going to say never, but I don't see all of a sudden Netflix becoming a sports hub anytime soon. I feel like it would be a third party that is kind of their identity is the sports hub versus, Oh, we have movies and we happen to have sports. I think it's going to be take, take something like that. That is, that's going to work better. Do you think with like a built-in audience of sports fans though? I mean, like there's plenty of people we all know who no matter what football is on in the house on Sundays, like that's what you do there. You know, live sports, you mentioned that's the reason you have cable right now. Is it really that much of a risk for like, we'll say again, a Netflix, but really any company that is one of these, you know, top, um, you know, properties out there. Is it really that much of a risk for them? Even if the content isn't up to like an ESPN standard or a Turner, um, does the reward outweigh the risk? I mean, just, just from your opinion. Well, you know, you, you take a studio, let's use Netflix, for example, you, you have to take a studio, first of all, that has literally piles of cash to make a calculated risk, knowing that even if they put this out there, the audience may or may not come, right? Hmm. What, what, what games, let's, let's say, okay, let's just say we're talking hoops, NBA. What game is actually going to be on their broadcast? Because if TNT has their exclusive deal, ESPN has their exclusive deal, what actual marquee and ABC has their deal? What games... Are there left that the hardcore fan wants to watch Mm. that for that streaming service? Quite honestly, there's not that many to pick from. I mean, we can basically watch, I think roughly 10 games, maybe eight to 10 games on network TV that are, that are the top games of the week on those platforms. So what's left for someone like Netflix? Like we talking about, I don't know. I don't want (laughs) to, Your, hey, what uh, you're saying. <laughs> prime time, you know, uh, Pelicans versus the Magic on Netflix. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to watch that. We're not. So, um, maybe I they got to start with football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're going to go that route, <laughs> right? I mean, so you know, we, to answer your question, it has to be a a platform that has the money to burn to even try it, because I don't know what games are going to be available that. Unless they, unless when the bid comes up, TNT says this is too much, and then Netflix takes it over, right? That's the only way it's going to force fans to watch on a different platform is if ABC, ESPN, right? I mean, Disney proper, and TNT basically say, we're not going to pay this anymore. And we know that it, NBA games, from a financial standpoint, uh, ESPN has been hurting because of that because, you know, people aren't watching as much right now and the billions of dollars they paid they aren't necessarily getting the return on them right now so maybe that does happen yeah i think that's a very good point and also there's so many different options out there like everybody's attention span is a split between nine or ten different things compared to you know when we're watching the nba in the 90s i mean there's like four channels <laughs> for mm-hmm. major channels the nba's you know you get that i remember seeing the quadruple header on nbc like that's unheard of now to get four playoff games in a row like <laughs> i kind of miss those days where you, you know you wake up at like 10 o'clock and you just watch those games on one channel but now you know christmas day is kind of the closest but they're split up in you know three different channels so it's just i don't it's it's one of those things where traction in terms of just keeping that viewer's attention i think is very difficult i think that's why you've seen espn struggle yeah, I mean, Justin, you make a great point. Let's let's not even talk about how there's multiple channels here. There's video games that we're competing yes. against. We're yeah. competing against YouTube and video games and then life on top of that <laughs> and then go watch an NBA game. It's it's hard for these sports leagues right now, man. I'm telling you. It is, for sure. Um, one last question before I let you go, Brian. It's early in the season, but like, what's kind of caught your eye so far in general in terms of your impressions of what's happening? We mentioned the rules changes earlier. Um, the Warriors have gone out to a fast start. Um, is there anything else that's kind of catching your eye in terms of the season, kind of that the Bulls have gone out to a quick start, yeah, the Knicks? Um, has there been anything that's kind of uh, raised your alarm bells? Are you impressed with the new rookies? What's kind of caught your eye this season so far? So, I, I mean, I was literally, as you were going down the list, I'm like, the Bulls and the Knicks. Literally, that, that, I mean, that's that's surprising, but that's exciting because these are teams that were dominant in the 90s, and it's kind of, but it's a totally different style now. It's an up-and-down game. I mean, when we saw the Bulls assemble that roster, everyone's like, this team could be really good. We don't know how it's going to look yet, but just the up-and-down play, and man, I mean, 
honestly kind of letting uh caruso kind of reign free and not be under the uh, lebron dom ball dominant like you've really yeah. seen how good that dude like people knew he was good but he's even better than i than i i honestly thought he was me too so so that that that's been really impressive i mean the knicks have been rising you know last year i mean was was really impressive and uh julius randall just picking up where he left off so i think those are fun things i love the rule changes i I don't know how many times you guys watch games and you're just so turned off whether dude, Steph Curry did that leaning crap all the time. I hate it. I'm like, yeah. this is not basketball. This doesn't fly. Even, you know, we, we used to get mad about traveling all the time. Like how the NBA never calls travels. <laughs> People stopped caring about that because there were, there's so many more egregious things like the arm hooking and the fake flopping. Oh, so it, it really has allowed me to, enjoy the game and feel it's at least a little more fair and palpable for a fan who actually really loves the game. You know, I don't, I don't know if there's anything else that really stands out. You know, I, I think you went down the list. Uh, those are all, those are all great things, but uh, you know, every time there's a warrior game, no matter how much work I got, I'm, I'm stopping down. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm taking some time to breathe. Well, I'm glad that, um, you know, the Warriors are in that conversation again. And hopefully when Clay comes back, I think they're going to be a real threat in the West um, because I'm not really a believer um, in the Lakers. So far, I know they've kind of, you know, worked out the kinks a little bit. LeBron's heard after the recording of this podcast. But mm -hmm. when it comes to kind of the nitty gritty, um, I think the Warriors, they're going to be a, a problem. Like, they're going to be a team take serious. They're, they're going to be a problem come playoff time. I, I think they're going to have problems still against Denver and Utah just because look, Draymond green can only play center for so long <laughs> before he gets worn down mm. um, to me. Right. It's, it's clay. What percentage clay do we get? If we get an 80% clay or higher, yeah. we're going to, the Warriors are going to be really good. If we get a, honestly, just even a 75% clay, I think the Warriors will be a little better, but they're going to have a little more trouble. And then who knows what Wiseman gives us because he's on like yeah. a super slow development path. So um but I would say the Warriors storyline is kind of one of the most exciting because they're trying to do this thing we've never seen done, fusing a current core with like this new generation instead of investing in like, hey, let's let's get a couple extra veteran savvy players. I think that would have honestly served them better. But now we have this kind of thing like, okay, Kaminga's not ready to contribute this year, <laughs> but he's he's fascinating, but he's not. I've seen him play enough in, in real games, not summer league games. But uh I think they're a fascinating and fun team. And whenever you got Steph Curry, the game's always going to be amazing. For sure. Always. True. Feel so lucky to be able to watch that dude. Well, Brian, this has been awesome. Thank you very much for your time. Can you please let our audience know where they can find you on social media? Let them know where your um, YouTube channel is and anything else you're working on for the rest of the year as well. Yeah, man. Thanks so much, guys, for uh, having me. Really appreciate it, Justin and Matt. Um, for people that are curious, you know, I do cover tech geek uh, culture so it's anything from apple google samsung the latest marvel movies dc stuff sneaker stuff and then kind of where tech falls in that it's just kind of a, a mishmash of basically stuff i love <laughs> so uh my youtube page just my name brian tong on twitter you can see me talk a lot about hoops uh brian tong again and uh i mean i have some stuff like uh shang chi the movie which was amazing i don't know if you guys were able to see it yet oh, or yeah. not mm -hmm. um but i got a sit down interview with the visual concept designer like the head his name is andy park he's basically responsible for all the costumes the look and the feel of the movie so um coming up when that movie comes out on disney plus I, I did like a basically a half hour sit down of what marvel told him he could do or not and then what are some of his inspirations to create these modern costumes for the movie and how that comes into play uh it's you know if you're a nerd you're gonna totally dig that stuff right. that's <laughs> awesome yeah so um so that, that's some of the stuff i'm working on also you know Apple stuff, CES, Consumer Electronics shows coming out in January. So just a lot of stuff to look forward to. But, uh, you know, always a Hoops fan. And thank you again so much for having me. And uh, I will continue to keep on watching and listening to what you guys are doing. It's really fun. I appreciate you, Brian. Thank you for the time. Appreciate you guys, too. Thanks so much.